Well, yesterday I had the joy of being able to, uh, of being a bell ringer at uh, Walmart. That was fun, two hours. It was pretty, fairly warm yesterday. The day before it wouldn't have been much fun at all, I can promise you. But I, it was interesting as I was sitting there watching this, and uh, that, that uh, it kind of hit me that I'm, I'm, I'm saying Merry Christmas to all these people coming out the doors. And some of them don't look too merry, you know what I mean? And some of them are just so caught up in everything else. And I thought, really, what's going on here? And I think what we need more than anything else is a message of hope, a message of understanding of how God can take our lives, change our lives, make our lives different than any time before. I want to ask you to turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 3. This is actually a psalm that was written by uh, uh, David in reference to Absalom, his son. He was, he is, his son had died, and, and he's writing almost in regret. It's a mourning prayer, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G prayer, not an M-O-R-N-I-N-G prayer. It's a, it's a mourning prayer, and it's a prayer also of joy. It's a, joy, it's a prayer of celebration. And it's, it's interesting as you read it, what happens, because you know what took place. Absalom, his son, is dead. And if you've read the scripture, even though Absalom wanted to take his father's throne, David is weeping, saying, why couldn't it have been me? Why couldn't I have taken his place? And I, think, I think a lot of us live in, in certain chains in our life. And I want to talk to us this morning about the message of hope, because if Christmas is anything... It is about the message of hope. I'm going, I'm going to go ahead and swap the slides here. So let's go ahead and read this together. Psalm 3. And so it says, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. Now I want to stop right there for a moment. How many of you have ever seen the Selahs that they have in, in, in Psalms? Well, the Selah has a special meaning. It has three meanings because of three different contexts. If it's used in reference to a song and in, in it's in the writings where somewhere they're singing and there's music, it simply means just starting a new verse. It's a break in the song. If it's used in a poetic sense, it, it just means that the rhyme of the poem kind of just stops for a moment and it's, and it's just a break in the poem. That's what it is. It's like taking a breath and starting another verse. But it has a special meaning here. When it's used in reference to prayer. Now listen to me carefully. Here's what it means. It was a symbol to those who were praying. To stop in the middle of what they were doing. To lay themselves face down before God. Is literally planting themselves. Their face in the ground. You know. And and just, just laying there before God as you pray. Now imagine David at this moment. I'm going to come back to the content of this in a second, but imagine David. He has found out, and he's writing this after it, and he's reflecting back on what happened. And he's found out that, you know, because what Absalom was doing, he was setting up kind of a, a stand, a table outside of town. And when people would come to get counsel, which they would do with David as the king, he would cut them off and say, well, you know what, I can give you that counsel. And he started getting the confidence of the people. He was seeking to steal his own father's throne. And then what happens is, you know, David actually wanted to bring his son back, but of course Absalom is dead. David is grieving. 
Just get this picture of this father, knowing, even knowing that his son had gone awry and that he was trying to take his throne. And he's laying down, face down before God, and he's weeping. Just imagine if he's laying there in the mud and it's just taking to his face and he's this picture of him. And how can there be hope in the middle of that? How can there be hope? And then he says this. He says, but you. Great statement. He's saying, yes, this is who I am. This is what's going on. And by the way, look up there where it says, it says, there are many who rise up against me. And I'm going to say this here in just a moment. But guys, the, 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 literally, from the time, they're, they're referencing when he committed the sin with Bathsheba, and he literally blew his kingdom apart when he did that. You know, and then he was, he was party to killing, murdering you know, Bathsheba's husband. This is, I did the, 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 the research on this. Guys, do you realize this was written about 60 to 70 years after that happened? After David had repented, after David had publicly come forth, and people were still, still doubting David, still coming after him. Come on. How many of us have things in our past that we hope stay in our past? We'll give you one more chance not to lie to God, okay? How many of us have stuff in our past we hope stays in our past? I'll put two hands up there, okay? So here's David weeping and paying the price. If you know the whole thing, so many things happened to his family out of that. And this is kind of the cherry on top. You know, Absalom's gone. And he's weeping. But here's how he found his hope. He says, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me. You know what that word shield means, guys? Literally means, it's also the word for Glory. It means it covers, as it says, all around. It was, it was an idea that, that, Lord, through your shield, your glory magnifies yourself through me. You protect me. You, you're, you're, your glory spreads. Every, there's no place I can go without your sufficiency. That's what he's saying. Your shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. There's that word again, Selah. He says, I lay down and slept, and I awoke for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people who set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. And what's the last word? Selah. We'll come back in a minute and talk about the meaning of of what that is. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to talk about what it means to break chains this Christmas. Now, I brought this up here with me, and I talked about this last Sunday night when we were, when the musical was over. When you, we tried to connect last week the cradle to the grave, that is, Jesus is not just little baby Jesus. He became a man, he, he came for a purpose, to die for us. We can't just put him in a little, you know, like they did in Talladega Nights to pray to little baby Jesus. That's not, we don't have that choice. We don't do that. We, he, he grew up. He came for a purpose. This is what he did. 
We connect the cradle to the grave. We just sing joy to the world. And I told you last week that song was actually written as a resurrection song, a, a, a Easter song. So there's a huge connection between the cradle when Jesus incarnationally comes and when he dies for our sins and he resurrects. We need to connect those two together. And what does that mean and what does that look like? But what is, what is Christmas? When you look into that, come on. When you saw your little child for the first time, did you see hope in their face? Of course you did. You began to pray and have pictures of what that child would be like, right? You began to think, you know, when you had your son, you, you probably put a little ball in his hand when he got him. And, you know, if you were me and I had a daughter, I put a, daughter, a ball in my daughter's left hand because I knew that was an instant scholarship, okay? I literally did, all right? I'm not kidding you. I, I did. And she became a left-handed pitcher and got a scholarship and all that. It, it was just God so good. Anyway... But, but the point being here, when you saw your children, you can't look at a little child and not have hope, right? Come on, they're, they're Googling, they're smiling, they're puking all over you. I mean, you know, they're crying in the middle of the night. And what keeps you from, what keeps you getting up in the night when that happened was you loved them. Someone loved you, right? You see hope in them. There's something innocent about a child when we see Christmas, the ultimate message of Christmas is there's hope to break the chains that bind us. Now, let me show you this. And what do I mean by that? We all carry chains. And my wife has given me permission to do this. And I'll, I'll, I'll do this. I did this in, for my student body a couple years ago. And it was profoundly impactful to a lot of our students. But I want you to imagine for a moment. This, this chain right here represents... Debbie's great-grandfather, okay? Debbie's great-grandfather, you know, in fact, uh, he was an alcoholic and an adulterer, okay? Particularly an alcoholic. And so, he had, you know, Debbie's grandfather, who was also an alcoholic and an adulterer. Now, I don't know as much about the great-grandfather, but I'm just putting these pieces together here. And then Debbie's father came, an alcoholic, an adulterer. Debbie's brother, I mean Debbie's uh, uh, uncle, I mean, same way, alcoholic. This just kept running through their family. And I could add on the other, another one on here, too, because Debbie's grandfather on her other side was an alcoholic, an adulterer, and the chain just kept going, just kept going. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. All of a sudden, Debbie and I start to date. We fall in love. We start to get married. We have a choice. We're going to follow this chain. We're going to create another chain. But you have to break from that chain. I could go back to my own family, probably look at my grand, great-grandfather, my grandfather. Much like him, struggle with pride, anger. You know, passion has another side to it. And I could tell you and open up my, my life and tell you those things. And 
My grandfather, particularly my mom's side, was the same way. My father struggled with some of the same things. I struggled with that. My brother struggled with that. His son particularly struggles with that. Because if you don't break the chain, it'll keep going on and on and on and on and on. And, and somehow you have to break the chain. You have to stand up and say, what can you do? And I believe what Christmas represents to us is the hope to break the chains that Satan holds. Because that's what he wraps around us. Come on, let's be honest here. In our quiet moments when integrity comes to light, because integrity only is shown of who we are in the dark if we're the same in the dark that we are in the light. If, there's, if we are righteous when the lights are off and nobody else is watching, who are we? Are we righteous when we get on social networks? Are we righteous in what we write? Are we righteous in our private life? Are we righteous and holy in those things? But here's the problem, guys. Again, until we break that chain, Debbie decided, we're going to break it. Start something new. Make a commitment that that would not be our story. That our girls would see something different. Now I will tell you, our family is not perfect by any means. If you've ever watched me watch a Tennessee football game, you would know imperfection firsthand, I promise you. But it's work. Because at some point we had to come to a place and say, is God capable of breaking the chains? They call this generational sins. And some of you are holding on to things that you need to let go. Anger, bitterness, hurt, pain, things you've had in the past, things that have chained you up and they need to go. And I'm here to tell you that Christmas represents every bit of the hope that can unchain it and break it because that's what Jesus does. He breaks the chains that hold us down because he wants to release us to live the life we want. I was a 14-year-old kid addicted to pornography. I struggled with that with years, for years. And it took accountability. It took people wrapped around me. It took an experience with God to finally expose what that did, to finally say, no, this will not rule my life anymore. Why would you tell us that? Because we all struggle. We all have chains. And we have a God who breaks chains. Don't we? We have a God who breaks chains. Why should we live in those chains anymore? So how do we break those chains? How do we do that? First and foremost, you have to be willing to face your past. You have to be willing to face your past. Look what he says. He says, Lord, how, how my foes increase. Many are they who say they will attack me or many against me. They say of me, there is no help for him in God. Sixty plus years he had faced this. He had to be honest and repent about what he did with Bathsheba, about the mistakes he had made, about the things he had done, because he let pride take him over. The chains needed to be broken. Look at me. You've got to be honest about your past. You cannot take your past and, and cover it over 
and just, just hide it in some cavern in your heart and think it's done. No, let me tell you something. That will never work. All that will do is further take your life deeper because I promise you there will be a time when that will come back to the surface. Come on. How many of you ever had a relationship that was broken and, and, and you, you hear a, and you got anger towards somebody and you hear a song that, that reminded you of that person and all of a sudden the anger started coming back the same way and just changed your moods. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah. Smells of things that can remind us because Satan is so sneaky, that's what he does. Number one, look at me guys, you have to face your past. If you're going to let the hope of Christ come in and transform your life this Christmas, that's what it's all about. The greatest gift you can give to yourself and to your family and to others is to break the chains. Stop living under the chains. You know, studies show that a, that a, a man who grows up, a young man who grows up in a home where a father abuses the the uh, mom, he will do the same thing in most cases to his wife. It also shows that a girl that grows up in a family with an abusive dad, the same thing will happen. She will marry a guy just like that. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. I've begged young women in my 35 years of ministry to say, don't you do it. Get out of this now. But he told me he loved me. No, he'll kill you next time. And if you do the checking, you'll find out that her father did it. Her grandfather did it. It kept being passed down. Break the chains. Break the chains. Face your past. Number two, acknowledge God's presence. Look what it says in verse three. And by the way, I love that Selah there, that he's laying down before God. How do you break those chains? You face your past by repenting of your sin and turning away and turning to where God wants you to turn. Verse three, but you, O Lord, are shield for me. You take care of me. You lift up my head. Think about what that means. Th think about what that, that picture there. I can remember wrestling in high school. And my coach, he was sadistic. He, he made us run and run and run and run and run. And he'd make us wrestle for hours. He would beat us to death. But I tell you what, by the time we got on the mat, we were better shaped than anybody. And I can remember time, one time in a tournament at Father Ryan High School in 1979. I'll never forget this. I was standing across the mat from a guy from Memphis. It was the third period. I was up by one point. And I was waiting for this guy to get down on the ground in front of me. And I looked over to him. He was over going, <laughs> my coach looked at me like, kill him. Go get him. He's done. You know why? Because here's what we do when we get down. We drop our head. And what is, there's, there's a picture here in this. He is saying, he is the one who lifts up my head. So what? So that you can face the issues to break the chains that hold you down. We will never get anywhere for walking with our head down and we're defeated. You are not defeated. We've already won. Jesus is resurrected. He is alive. Don't let anybody, don't let Satan ever tell you that we are defeated. We are not. We have victory already, don't we? Claim that victory. Acknowledge God's presence. Lord, you are shielded. He says, around me. Look at this. He says, but you are a shield around me. And what it literally means is he covers me on every side. 
And look, if, if you're at that place where you're at the bottom of that pit and you're looking around and you can't see anything else, let God be your shield and look up to him and acknowledge the presence of God for he will pull you out of that pit and he will break the chains if you'll let him do it. I've seen him do it way too many times. Way too many times. And then look what it says. Number three, cry out to God from the depth of your soul. Cry out to God from the depth of your soul. Verse 4 says, I cried to the Lord, my Lord, and he heard me from his holy hill. Selah. How many times y'all ever had this experience? How many of you guys have ever, ever prayed and asked God for something and you felt like he didn't listen? You ever had prayer times where you felt like it just, your prayers are hitting the ceiling? Look at this. He says, I cried out to God. That phrase there literally means, I am on my face, I am done, there's not part of me. I'm not asking for myself, God, I'm not asking selfishly for me, I'm just asking God, I need you. I need you for your glory, God, please intervene here. And what does it say? It says, and he looked, it says, and he ignored me and ran the opposite direction, right? Is that what it says? What does verse 4 say? And he did what? He heard me from his holy hill. How many of us want God to hear us? Come on. You want God to hear you. Amen? Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I want God to hear me. Tell him. Come on. We all want God to hear our prayers, don't we? Cry out to him. Repent. Be willing to turn. That's what David did. If you want to turn over to Psalm 51, this is what David did when he came to that place with Bathsheba, when he was confronted with his sin. How did he turn to God? How did he cry out? What did he do? Look at what it says. Verse 1 simply says, be merciful to me, O God, because of your constant love, because of your great mercy. Wipe away my sins. Oh God, wipe away my sins. Lord, these sins are weighing me down. These chains, God, I cannot hold them any longer. They're beating me down, God. Wash away my evil and make me clean from men. From sin and recognize my faults. I'm always conscious of my sins. In other words, Lord, I own my sins. I own the bad things I've done. I can't blame somebody else for what I did. Come on. How many of you had brothers and sisters when you were growing up? How many of you blamed your brothers and sisters when you got caught doing stuff? Come on. We have to learn to own it. We start, man, we start really young blaming somebody else. We pass the buck to somebody else. We talked about that a couple months ago. But no, we need to own it. We need to say, no, it is my sin, O Lord. Look at what verse 4 says. For I have sinned against you, only against you, and done what you consider evil. Guys, let me tell you something. I want you to remind, remind you of this. Look at this. He says, I've sinned against who? Who is that? Who is that? He sinned against God, and only against you. Guys, when you sin, it's not enough to go tell somebody else you're sorry for what you did. You need to tell God and repent of it because when we sin, we sin and break God's heart. It is him that we go against. He says, he says, and have done evil, what you consider evil. So you are right in judging me. Listen, this whole generation wants to say so often now. They want to say, no, Lord, you're, you're not right in judging me. You're not right in judging me. Lord, it's not fair that I'd have to pay for something that I did. So you are right in judging me. You are justified in condemning me. I have been, been evil from the day I was born, from the time I was conceived. I have been sinful. Well, that sure is, that don't sound much like the prosperity preaching we hear on TV, does it? 
Sincerity and truth are what you require. Fill my mind with your wisdom. Remove my sin and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. I love that. Let me hear the sounds of what? Of joy. How many of y'all want to hear the sounds of joy and gladness? Come on. Amen, yes or no? Come on, let's have a charismatic moment here. Put both hands up go, hallelujah, yes, amen? Yes, we want to hear the sounds. That sounds just like a Christmas song, doesn't it? The sounds of joy and gladness. Though you have crushed me and broken me, I will be happy once again. Why? Because when God, we repent, what God does is he breaks in us what is us, and he replaces it with him, and he repairs us, that we can go forward, and we can be conduits of his light to the world and shine to the world. Close, my, your, uh, close your eyes to my sins and wipe out all of my evil. Create a pure heart in me, O oh God, and put a new and loyal spirit to, in me. Do not banish me. Do not banish me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Give me again the what? What's that word there? Joy that comes from your salvation. How many, how many of you have joy in your salvation? You know what I'm talking about? Amen. Guys, yesterday when I was watching people come out of, out, of, out of Walmart, I thought, I bet they'd be happier if this was 4th of July. I'm serious. There wasn't much merry joy coming out of Walmart yesterday. There was a whole lot of constipation walking out that door. I'm telling you, people looked like they were in pain, okay? So let's say that word again. Give me again the what? That comes from your salvation and makes me willing to obey you. And then I love verse 13. This is what we do with friend day, right? This is what it's all about. Then I will teach sinners your commands, and they will turn back to you. That is who we are, Rocky Mount Baptist Church. That's what makes it. You know the chains are broken when you stop thinking first of yourself, and all we think about are other people and needs and becoming part of what God's plan is, being on mission with him. Stop glorifying what we want and surrendering to what he wants. Read Philippians chapter 2 this afternoon. Treating others as better than ourselves, O oh Lord. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. That's what he says. All through scripture, the message is the same. That's who we're supposed to be. So how can we break the chains? Number four, rest firmly in God's provision. Rest firmly in God's provision. What does it say? It says, I lie down and slept. I woke for the Lord sustains me. Guys, let me say this to you. I was introduced, I was introduced to this, this chapter three of Psalms in 1986. It was a week after the Challenger blew up. Do y'all remember that? How could you forget it if you lived through that? But I, I, um, what happened was I was going to bed about a week after that one night, Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. And as I was laying down, Debbie heard a dog barking outside in our apartment right there next to the seminary, right down the road from the seminary. And, and Debbie, she heard a dog barking. She was coming back. We heard shots rang out across. And Debbie ran to the window. She looked over and she said, David, someone's running down to Cliff's house. Cliff was a good friend of ours. He was the most beautiful baritone voice you've ever heard in your life. He and T had been married about three or four years. He was an amazing, godly guy. So was she. Amazing young, young lady. And so I, I put my jacket on and Ran outside, started running across, and my buddy came running at me and says, David, call the police. Cliff, Cliff's been shot. 
So we called 911. The police were coming. I ran over there. As I went in, the, the windows curtain, there was glass everywhere where it shot through the window. And there was a blood trail going across the floor. And Cliff was laying down over there on his back. And my buddy had a towel holding on his chest trying to, to stop the bleeding. I got on my, he said, David, pray. I got on my face and started praying for Cliff. We heard the ambulance come. I ran outside and uh, directed them inside. A few minutes later, they wheeled Cliff's body out. They were still doing CPR on him. We all went to my apartment, and we began to pray. A few minutes later, we got a phone call, and Cliff had died. Interesting thing was, this buddy of mine came into the apartment with the blood of his friend on his hands. And we started to pray. He laid down on his face. And the first thing he prayed for was the salvation of the people who shot Cliff. I've never forgot that. It's exactly what he's saying here. That sinners may know that Jesus is alive because somebody under the chains of Satan did that. They found out later it was a mistaken drug hit that right next door to them were some people They'd stolen drug money from this, this cartel, and they'd sent money up, sent these guys up, and they went to the wrong apartment. They actually were supposed to go, they were in a duplex, to the next door, and they went to the wrong place, and they shot the wrong person. Two weeks, but a, the next week, we, we all met together. And anyway, I was scared to death. Every time a car would stop outside, we'd poke out the window. We didn't know what to do. About two weeks after this all happened, I was in there reading my Bible one night, and I was just started through Psalms. I got to Psalm 3. When I read that, I, I went, you know, I lay down and I slept. I hadn't slept in two weeks. I lay down and slept, and I awoke for the Lord to sustain me. A peace came over me. I went to the room, and I said, Debbie, I want to show you what God just showed me. I've never forgotten what I sensed that night, and for the first time in weeks, I slept. You have to, be, you have to rest firmly in God's provision. He does not want us to live in chains. He wants to break those chains, whatever they are. He wants us to walk with him. And we got to rest in his provision, guys. Don't keep taking it off the table. Rest in what he's trying to do and let him do it. Number five, always expect opposition and persecution. If you look what happened, it says, there are many who say of me, you know, and then later on it says, I whether ten thousands of people come against me. Because what was happening was people were squabbling and gossiping all over the place about David. They still couldn't get over him. What happened with Bathsheba almost 70 years before, they were all gossiping and stuff. Let me tell you what's going to happen. When you turn your life around, you start following God passionately, and you let God break the chains, there's going to be people that Satan sends into your life that are going to try to make fun of you. They're going to try to beat you down. They're going to try to act like it's really not a big deal. And they're going to they're try to steal away your joy. And here's what you do to them. You look at them and tell them Jesus is alive. Share the gospel with them. Don't let anybody steal your joy. The book of Ephesians says he seals us up to the day of redemption. And there is nothing on, uh, nothing on this earth that can unseal us from that. 
Trust him in those times. People will come against you. I found it in my own life. Some of the most biggest critics I've ever had in my life have been some of the closest people to me who came against me for whatever reason at all. Because maybe when you grow deeper in God, it makes them feel guilty. And they don't want to do that because they're still holding on to stuff. I know that, particularly young people. I work with young people all the time. I have a kid get saved in my class. He goes back to his dorm. And, and you got two other kids who are, who are barely walking with God if they're walking with him at all. And they're making fun of him because they're doing stuff they know they shouldn't do. And he makes them feel guilty. Here's what I tell them. I say, go win your, your roommates to Christ. We'll hold your arms up while you're doing it. Don't turn back. Don't turn back. And remember this. There is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Why don't you read this with me? Come on. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me what? Say it again. Say it one more time. From what? The law of what? Turn to your neighbor and say, we are free from the law of sin and death. Tell them that. The, the, The incarnation of Christ into this world broke the chain of death that would hold us down. That's why Paul could say, He could say, whether I live or die, it's okay. It doesn't matter. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Look at me. You are not held down by anything but ourselves. When we choose to hold ourselves down and keep holding on to the chains, we we get into fear and let those things happen. Stop it. Grab hold of everything that Christ has. If you want to know what Christmas is about, grab the hope and joy that he has and, and grab it for your life, guys. Dig deep. Let him have it. Let the chains roll off. And fall in love with him. Come on, there is no reason to continue in that direction that will only bring destruction. Debbie's family saw that generation after generation. I saw it to a degree in my family, generation after generation. Break the chains. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Finally, number six, commit to live for God by reclaiming the victory of your salvation and become a conqueror. Look at verses seven and eight. Look what they say. I love this. I love what he says. He says, rise up, O Lord. Save me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the cheekbone. In those days, they would, have, they would go up if to slap someone was a, a sign of victory. But he's saying, I'm crushing the, your, 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 your foe. I'm, I've already beat him down. I'm not just slapping him lightly, sending a message that I'm coming. I'm laying him out. By the way, that's what Jesus did on the cross. When he resurrected, Satan had nothing he could throw at us anymore. If we stay in chains, it's because we choose to stay in chains because Jesus has the key to unlock the chains, to break the chains. We don't have to stay there any longer. And look what it says in verse 8. He says, you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to who? The Lord. May your blessing be upon your people. Amen. And then there's that last word, Selah. I love that word because what it shows me is this, that all through all of this, even when the victory was coming, David stayed on his face before God because that's the only proper place to be when you're surrendered to him. 
Guys, we've not been on our face enough. We've not been broken enough. This Christmas, grab hold of the hope we have in Christ. Come on, guys. How can we win a world to Christ if we're not even enjoying our own salvation, right? Come on. You know what I mean? Smile. Grab hold of it. That's what this is all about. It's about hope. Hope is not mystical. It's none of that. Hope is not just this thing out there floating around. In Christ, it is sure as Christ himself, for he is that hope. And he's a chain breaker. Right now, some of you need this hope. Some of you may not know Christ as your personal Savior. And you need to receive him into your life I'm going to give you a prayer here in just a moment, just a simple prayer that you can pray. But let me say this to some of us others. Some of you are saved, but you've never followed through in baptism. You've never followed through and, and, and made that first step of obedience. And I wish you'd come today and say, you know what, I'm ready to do that. I'm ready to take that step. Or you want to join the church, become part of this fellowship. Or maybe, look at me, maybe you're a Christian. And you're still holding on to some of your chains. You know you're born again. But you sometimes just feel defeated. You ever been there? How about grabbing hold of the hope that is Christ? He will snap those chains. He will give you freedom to walk in Him. Trust Him. There's no need, guys. There's no need. I tell my students this all the time. I say, I don't care where you've been. I care where you're going. Because God can break the chains of where you've been. I care where you're going. I think that's what God's saying to us. He said, I know where you've been. You know, some of it's not real flattering. But you know what? If it brings you back to your face before God, and it brings you back to where you need to be, it's not about where you've been. It's about where you're going. And where we're going, there's hope. There's hope. That's what Christ the Savior represents. That's what that little baby represents. That's what his whole life represents. He is hope. Hope. He is the chain breaker. Trust him. Would you bow your heads with me right now? If you've never received Christ, your personal Savior, I'm going to ask you this morning, just to bow you right there with your heads bowed, just to pray a simple prayer. To ask Christ to come into your life. To just put the change, put all the stuff away and say, God, I believe that you lived, died, rose again. I believe that you resurrected from the grave and I believe you did it for my sin. I believe, Jesus, that you are Savior and Lord. And I want to trust you. Just tell him that right now. Just, just like David did, just confess, Lord, I... I'm a sinner and I need you. I need your grace and mercy. I'm willing to repent and turn away from my sin and follow you, Jesus. How about this morning? Just untightening your hands, the grip that you hold, and just letting loose and let the peace of God, the hope of God, flow through you, through, through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, as he saves and redeems us and takes those things away. How about letting God break the chains that holds us down? If you did that this morning, 
I'm just going to ask you just to step down and, and come this morning and just say, David, I ask Jesus to be my Savior. I know without a doubt he's in my life. Just, just come this morning and do that. I'm, I'm praying there'll be others of us this Christmas. That right now, we will simply just come and kneel down before God and ask him to rescue us, our hope, and take care of us and what we need to do. Right now, that he will do that for us. That he will break the chains of who we are in your life. And that we'll grab hold of the joy we have in Christ. Father, in Jesus' name right now, I ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would lead this invitation, God. You would break the chains as you did in David's life, as you can in our life. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We want that joy and that peace. We want that hope, God. And we're asking right now, Lord, if we're, we are a believer and we're still holding on to things, let us let go of that right now and trust you. If we're not a believer, I pray, God, we will come to you this morning. And Father, right now, let us grab hold of the hope that is Jesus Christ right now. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm asking